The last page has been turned on my most recent read, and I'm currently enjoying a perfectly brewed cup of tea. It's needed, it is really cold. My flat actually got down to two degrees this morning. I'm not quite sure how it happened, but we are even further into December and closer to the beginning of 2023. I have opened a few more doors on my advent calendar and we're now starting the wonderful Christmas close down project at the office. We're another week closer to the end of the year and for the first time in probably a decade I am actually relatively organised. All my presents are ready to be wrapped, well they will be by the time you hear this, and the work Christmas party has already taken place. I am pleased to say that I escaped hangover free and with no embarrassing tales to share. You may feel disappointed about that, but I really am not. Right now, I'm ready to tell you all about the book I've just finished. So here I am with a guest, no spoilers, opinion filled and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. This week I have a guest with me, Lorraine, and we're going to be talking about the wonderful Stephen King's short story from 1982, The Body, which you may know better as the film Stand By Me. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session and to be fair, in the winter months it's kind of necessary if you want to read the word on the page. Get yourself a cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference of course. And let's get started. I'm here, I've actually got a guest this week and we're talking about a book that I was going to be talking about last month as part of my film, well, book to film adaptation series that never quite got off the ground. Wonder why that was. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm here with Lorraine, who you may well recognize from the fantastic horror and true crime podcast, Once Upon a Nightmare, though it is on a an unending currently hiatus so hi Lorraine thank you for coming Hello. on you're welcome yeah no it's been um god I don't think I've recorded since end of August an episode went out in sept beginning of September so yeah it's been uh it's been a while hopefully I remember how to speak the words from that my is mouth. a good thing <laughs> As we were just working out, it's been a while. Lorraine is a regular guest. We're always talking film and I get her to read a few books here and there because mm -hmm. I like I like encouraging people to read, as you know. And we talked about another Stephen King book, Misery. I think I'm the official Stephen King person or horror person. I'll just come on and do the horror stuff. <laughs> well, we did Firestarter before we did this. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it is it is very much a Stephen King thing, though this one is very different from everything mm. else that we've done by him. Yeah, I agree. So we are talking The Body, which was actually part of 
his anthology Different Seasons. Mm-hmm. And you may well not recognize the title, but you will recognize the story if you've seen the 1986 film Stand By Me, which is a very, very loyal adaptation. Yes. Yes. That The whole way through, I was literally just like picturing scenes with the characters from the film. So, yeah, because I listened, I did it audible, which is what how I read books because I can't sit down. And uh, I can physically sit down. I just don't have the patience for it. Um, That's comforting so, to know. Yeah. So I, uh, but yeah, it's weird listening to it and it's not being their voices, you know, but it's very yeah. loyal. Very, there are a few changes here and there, but in general, it's very loyal. It is. It's one of those books that I'd <laughs> say it is a small, it's a very, very thin book. I actually read the book this morning. It's currently 11.50 as we're recording, and I started reading the book at nine o'clock. Oh, shut up. So that gives an indication. It's only, I've got it right in front of me, and it is only just 198 pages in length. So it's a very, very thin book. It's reminiscent, really, of Early Mills and Boone in length, but it has far better quality. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. That said, a lot of good authors came from Mills and Boone. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, well, they did. Nora Roberts, <laughs> P.G. Woodhouse, uh, to name but two. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about the body. And I will just read the blurb on the back of the book, just so you get an idea of what it's about. We'd all listened to the Ray Brower story. He was a kid our age. The small town of Castle Rock is tuning into the news of a young boy who has gone missing from a nearby town. Gordy Lachance and his three friends set off along the railway tracks on a quest, determined to become famous by officially finding the boy's body. But their journey becomes a rite of passage, and as they cross the railway trestle and the tracks begin to hum, the boys encounter an intimation of their own mortality. An iconic exploration of friendship, loneliness, and adventure adapted into the classic 1986 film, Stand By Me. The Body is an unforgettable coming-of-age story by master chronicler of small-town adolescence and universal experience, Stephen King. Would you agree with that summary? Yes. (laughs) No more? End of. (laughs) End of. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, I I think the thing for me with this, apart from the very end, which obviously I'm not going to say because it's slightly different to the movie. Yeah. Is, um, which I didn't realize, because I'd never read or listened to the book before. So I didn't realize that they were going to do, I didn't realize that that ending. Um, It's not, because up until then, I was kind of like, you can't really, because you do spoiler free episodes. I was like, you can't really spoil this one. You know what I mean? It's quite difficult because it is such a short book. But they kind of tell you at the beginning what they're doing. Like, do you know what I mean? So they tell you straight away, we're off to find, you know, Ray. And then it's just basically a story, which, you know, in a sense is quite predictable of how these boys are going to carry on. So while it's, I really, really enjoyed it, I'll be honest with you. um, it, It wasn't, it wouldn't have been, even if I'd never seen the film, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't have been shocked by by anything apart from the ending. 
But at the same time, did you ex- if you'd not seen the film and you'd seen the title of the book and seen the author, would you have expected this kind of story? No, I pro- I would have expected um, horror, and this this wasn't like. Do you know what I mean? So I would have expected it to be scary, where where it wasn't. There were scenes, there were parts of it with, um, like when they meet the the older gang. You know, you knew it wasn't going to be very pleasant, but you know, it wasn't. There was nothing. It was just more of like a coming of age, like it says, book. Yeah, and- it is. It is a story of growing up and growing older. And what I find really sad about the story is that none of them have had an easy childhood. But uh, to put it in perspective, this is based during the early 19, very early 1960s. Mm. And it is the main character, Gordo, Mm. looking back on his on this particular event during that summer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I find that's one thing listening to, cause I haven't, se- I mean, I remember the film, but I haven't seen it for, for quite a while. And as I was listening to the, the book, I was like, this is so depressing. It's so sad. These poor kids, the way they get treated. I mean, especially like not the, um, Teddy uh, deserves what he got, but Teddy and Vern are kind of just like the annoying ones that you don't really, you know, care about as much. They're just to me, yeah. they were just very irritating. But the relationship between Chris and Gordy was, you know, you really felt with them. I kind of felt like I connected with them a lot more than the other two, and they, it, it felt like there was a massive age gap between them. Not that they were all around the same age. It, felt, Vern- it did feel like Chris and Gordo yeah. had. They'd got a far more um, mature friendship. Yeah. And in a way, as you said, Teddy had a far more depressing upbringing. I mean, Mm. the abuse that he was put through by his dad was horrific. Mm. His Essentially, he was, when he was eight years old, his father pressed his (laughs) ears against a hot plate. Yeah. And deformed them to the point where he had severe hearing difficulties and he also had vision problems and everything else connected to this trauma. And his father was um, what we term today as PTSD. Mm. He'd fought in World War II and he was suffering from severe PTSD. Yeah. I... I think as well, what I find really sad about it all was none of them seemed to have anyone like a father figure or a role model or someone to look up to. I felt like I did feel like Chris and Gordy were kind of each other's role yeah. model. But with the others, like, yeah, their dads either ignored them or beat them or were drunks or their older um, siblings like obviously one had died and the other was just they were just bullies and then at school they were kind of classed as mainly the trouble kids so it's like it's like they didn't have anyone ever to like turn to and I thought that was really sad because like they're they're so young like what are they gonna turn into when they've got no one to kind of lead the way so to speak and the funny thing is I actually did some research about this this morning and it turns out that apart from going on the hunt for the body, yeah. this was semi-autobiographical. Oh, okay. Which, 
obviously putting Stephen King in the role of Gordy. Mm, yeah. Because if you look at the the stories the way through, he's publishing short stories and we're getting yeah. them as inserted tales within the book. Yeah. So there's story within a story on several occasions. And I have to say the one story that always sticks in my head because it has so many similarities to a specific scene in The Witches of Eastwick mm. is the tale at the um, eating competition. I love that scene. <laughs> I thought, I, and and it, to be honest with you, because obviously I've seen it in the film, but it comes across really well in the actual book as well. And like I like really, the fact that the boys are, what happens next? What happens yeah. next? <laughs> yeah, they're really, uh, sorry for coughing so much, by the way, this cold just won't seem to shift. Um, yeah, they just, um, yeah, I like that, because you're doing the same thing. Like you're you're sitting there going, and, what, and, and the weird thing was, even though I knew what happened, I yeah. found myself going, and what happened then? And what happened then? <laughs> so yeah, I thought I really because they did another story in it about a cheek Chico. Was there someone called yes. Chico? Yeah, I I can't remember any of that because I switched off to it. I'm I'm not very good at stories within stories. I find it really hard to stay focused because I'm invested in what's going on with the main characters, and then they yeah. bring in this side bit, and I'm like because they did it with misery as well so when they do those things I kind of switch off for that bit so all I can tell you about that bit is there was someone called Chico I, I literally the, cannot remember another thing about it I think the biggest issue with that story with the I have actually highlighted that particular page those pages but the issue with that story is that it doesn't feel attached to the main book Whereas mm. the other story, it does because they're all, ca it's called Stud City. The original one is Stud City by Gordon Lachance, originally published in Greenspun Quarterly, full 1970. Okay. That's the title. But the other one, the tale with the the revenge. Yeah, it that is fits. Him, it yeah. fits because it is the sort of story that, a child would tell around a campfire. Yeah, yeah. I oh, thought look, that... they, they took the mick, they took the mick, and then everybody was really sick, and it was so visual. Yeah. But the first story was about an adult in an adult situation, yeah. and we knew that the children weren't. They were actually, they were in an adult situation almost, but not the the situation that Chico's in where he's in a room with a woman and they've just had sex. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think the Laradas one is, you know, it, it sounds like something that could happen, but also a fun story that you make up to tell your friends. Yeah. You know, that oh, way. Absolutely. At that age, it's very fitting for that age, you know, to be like for a 12 year old, like when you're hearing it from like a 12 year old type thing, telling the story, it's like, I wouldn't come up with that at my age, yeah. but at 12. He ate so much, he threw up and then everyone else yeah. threw up. That is a kid's story. It's kind of like, ah, and that's what happened. Oh yeah, that's what we're going to do. That's revenge. Whereas the other story didn't fit with the narrative that we were reading. No. And plus, and that is possibly why it wasn't so memorable. Well, that's, that's a fair point. And also, I think plus with um, Lardass, as they like to call him, um, you're, you know, you're rooting for him as well. I feel like he was someone to root for because he was so teased and stuff like that. And I thought, what a great way to get everyone back who's 
kind of because uh, they bullied him, didn't they? Because of his weight and all this kind yeah. of stuff. Because even when in the film, when he's like walking up on the stage, they or they they call him Lardas, and then they go, "Oh, sorry," that then call him his real name. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I I liked that story. I thought it was a good little little one to put in there. That's the thing. Every single character, as we've already said, had their traumatic past, mm. and with. Gordy, it was the fact that his older brother, Dennis, who he admitted to admiring, though there was, after he passed away, there were elements of jealousy because he was almost the forgotten boy. Yeah. Yeah, which was really sad. His parents had tried so hard to have him. And then all of a sudden, it's like he doesn't exist any longer. He may as well not be there. And that's how he feels. But his brother, Dennis, was killed in a car accident after he joined the army. Yeah. Yeah. So he's left with that trauma and people use it to tease him, which is really cruel. Yeah, they're that's one thing about this. They're brutal in it. Yeah. Like when they tease, like it's it's not like not that this is acceptable, but it's not like making fun of someone's hair or someone's weight or something like that. It's like going for the jugular. It's like yeah, you're, I mean with Teddy. Oh, your dad's mental. Yeah, and he was in the war. You know? Yeah, but he's I mean, also his... now in a mental institute yeah. because he needs help. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, what his his dad did to him was awful and stuff. But yeah, there was no there's no compassion um, from anyone. And e- even with Teddy and Vern, there's no compassion because I think, especially like Teddy, almost seems like he's already gone. Like his dad, he's already gone. Vern is just like it's like Vern's an eight year old. He just hasn't a clue what's going on whereas Chris and Gordy they seem like a lot more mature like they they they've got compassion um for what's going on for the body for each other but nobody else seems to have an ounce of compassion for for anyone yeah it's almost as though looking back on it um Gordy's adult perspective is is reading the wow they were a bunch of jerks. Yeah. They yeah. really were. I mean, they were horrific. The trauma that is inflicted upon them by their parents, by the town bullies who aren't even their own age. That's a, that's the thing that really got me was the town bullies were friends of Vern's older brother, the yeah. starters, and they were... So they were much older than the other than the kids they were bullying. They were old enough to drive a car, so they were at least 16 yeah. years older. And they were picking on 12, 13-year-old boys and yeah. getting their kicks out of it. Yeah, I, I find that very strange, the age of the older ones going for the younger ones. Because, you know, they were very small. Or, all four boys were very small. And I yeah. wouldn't mind, like, Vern and... Chris's brother were there as well weren't they so like they were related to them and they were just like the I mean you shouldn't go around bullying people anyway and hitting people anyway but there's just something about when you do it to somebody that you know that you can win that you can beat them up it's like you wimp you absolute wimp because I tell you one thing if if Chris was big for his age and he was like six foot five and built like the rock they wouldn't have gone near him like no that's the thing though that the tides do turn because Mm. when they're all actually at the location where they just where the body is Mm. 
Chris has a gun. Yeah. And the tides turn because you can see the fear on the page. And I'm no doubt you could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Because Ace, the lead bully, who in the film's actually played by Kiefer Sutherland, which yeah. always sticks in my head. He's always the bully. Yeah, he was in that <laughs> film, uh, he stayed away from them all because he wanted and he was horrible to them apparently on set on purpose not because he wanted to be because that's the only way he could kind of be because he was horrible in it like he, he wasn't really, a nice yeah, character his character in the book yeah he doesn't it's quite strange he because he's only mentioned in passing mm. in the beginning of the book when you finally meet him as a character he yeah. has so much more impact mm. and you can tell the way that, I mean, Chris is quite unsteady with this gun, but he took it from his father, who is also an incredible, violent, alcoholic bully. Yeah. He took the gun from his father and he's waving it around. And he actually says to Ace, where do you want the bullet? I'll give you your choice. Do you want it in your yeah. arm? And that is the point. The tide turns and the bullies are scared of the people of their victims. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they're a bunch of cowards who they, like I said, they know they're stronger, physically stronger, and they know that they can beat them. But when actual, like, real danger is in front of them, like someone with a gun, you know, it just shows they're just cowards. And I'm not saying that, of course, if someone comes at you with a gun, you're, you know, you move, you're not going to argue with them because, no. you know, you don't stand much of a chance. But the switch from, you know, we're not scared of you, we, we're basically going to beat you, to, oh, no, they've got a gun, and they just completely back off. It just shows it's all a front at the end of the day. Yeah, I think you this know? is the culmination of Chris's victim, uh, Chris's bullying by his father, his yeah. brother, and everybody else. All of this culminates in the, I'll shoot you. Yeah. And Gordy says in the text, it's not the fact that he's got the gun that scares them, it's the tone of voice that he uses when he says, I will shoot you. Yeah. Because no, he's I... reached his limit. Yeah, I suppose when you grow up, it's a shame that at, at such a young age, you feel like you've reached your limit. But like, you know, like you say, you've got his brother that bullies him. You've got his dad that bullies him. You've got his brother's friends that bully him. You've got the school that thinks he's nothing. Like you probably think to yourself, well, what have I got? to lose you know exactly. and with Chris I it, he I felt Chris was kind of like he was quite different in the sense that despite the fact that he'd grown up in that environment and he had the brother he did and he got treated the way he did I always kind of felt like he was one that could get out you know that way you kind of feel like actually he might break the chain where he doesn't turn out to be a drunk who goes around beating up 12 year old kids, you know, this type of thing. I yeah. felt like he, he had, you know, a, a chance. He had potential. Because of him. Because of him. Yeah. You know, he was determined that he wasn't going to be like his dad yeah. and his brother, but a lot of the things that he'd done leading up to that point had made everybody else think that he was going to turn out like his dad and his brother because oh, he by association yeah but he also skipped school yeah. and he didn't pay attention in class when he did show up so there were certain elements of his character that were almost predetermined mm. until that summer and then something clicked and all of a sudden 
he was no longer that person and he didn't want to be that person. No. No. Which gave him hope. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I like the like I said, the other two, I was just like, you know, that they they were just irritating characters, to be honest with you. But with Gordy and Chris, you you actually felt that something was there. They had some substance to them. Like, you know, there's something going on upstairs, whereas the other two were just, you know, like Teddy didn't stand a chance. What no. Vern might have just, you know, got, would Vern you think, oh, he's just going to go on, might have a couple of kids and get a job and nine to five type thing. But with Teddy, I kind of, you always felt like he, he had no control over his emotions whatsoever. And with him, you felt like he's probably going to end up in prison or, um, so with Teddy, like, I felt like with him, he was going to end up like either in prison or as a drunk because he wanted to be in the army, but obviously with his ear and his, um, eyesight, there wasn't a chance, but with him, you just, like I would have been gobsmacked if he had, you know, if he was someone that would have turned his life around. Whereas with Chris and Gordy, you feel like that's going to happen. You know, he's they're going to become something. But Chris, uh, that's the thing. I think that Chris wanted to get out of yeah. Castle Rock. Gordy wanted to get out from under the oppressive thumb of his parents, who, mm. despite the fact they didn't really pay much attention to him, were all too keen to say, you were a miracle baby and we tried really hard for you, so you owe us this. Yeah, they did. Because I, I remember this one bit in it where they say how his parents never hit him. and But the way they were with him, sometimes that, that, that almost made it worse because there was like nothing. Not that you know, obviously he wanted to be hit, but there was just nothing. He was just like in their eyes, I felt like he just... He was just somebody that walked around the house. And because there's this one bit where I think he says, yeah, he goes back after the, the body's been found and everything. And he says to his mom, you know, like his mom's not up. And then she comes down and she's like morning. And then just like straight away, she's on about Dennis again. He's a ghost in his own home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very, I don't know. It's just very sad. The whole thing was just very sad, you know? That's the thing. I think this is this sort of story was incredibly common from King at that in that particular mm. period because this is also the same book that produced the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah, because they mention it in it, don't they? Shawshank. <laughs> yeah, they do mention Shawshank yeah. as oh, you're going to end up in Shawshank, the next town over, and it is very. I think there is something about King's writing in this time period that I absolutely love. Because it's yeah. far more emotion. It's far more emotional. Yeah. It's it's well. It's kind of when you listen to books kind of based in this time, or you watch films based in this time. I'm why why did people have kids? Like, is it they just got <laughs> pregnant or they were planned? Because it just comes the, the kids kind of come across a lot of the time like like they've had them, and then it's like oh god, the kids are here. Like, but they keep having more. I don't know. They've just, I always get this sense. Well, it was a time it, before contraception to start with. No, it's true. But now when, like, I know there's still now, but people nowadays seem to be, obviously, yeah, because you've got contraception, all this kind of stuff. But people nowadays seem to be more, I'm going to have kids. I'm not going to have kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. we people get caught out, but it feels very much more, 
um, a decision that's made, you know, that way, e- either way. Whereas back then, yeah, granted, but it, but there wasn't like there was even any love between the couples. So like, it's not like they're at it like rabbits and that's why they get pregnant. But it maybe it's just like of the time you get married, you have kids, but you see a lot of these things in this era. And it's just like, they just want the kids out of the way all the time and go out and play with your friends. And they're just, they never felt like there was any real love for a lot of the kids. And I, I mean, if you've got any listeners that are of an age where they, you know, they were kids in their, in the sixties, you know, they might be able to give some insight of to what it was like, but when you do watch or read something, it just feels like they just had kids because that was what you do, but they're not really fussed about them once they're born. But I think it was, that's the thing. It was, you think about it, he was born Gordo if he was, Gordy, if he was in, he was 12 in what, 1962. He'd have, yeah. born in, he'd have been born in 1950, five years yeah. after the end of the war. Yeah. Baby boomers era. Yeah. So they were trying to, in a way, repopulate where uh, to replace the children that had died during the war yeah I don't know it just it just always seems like a really depressing time and like I said I mean this is only going by films and stuff you read and stuff and obviously people that were born in that time might have a a different viewpoint but it just I mean our parents were born during that time that's true yeah, my parents were born in 52 and 53. And, and my, mom, my dad was born in 51 and 54. My parents, 51 and yeah, 54. because I've heard stories, like, obviously from my parents and stuff. And, like, even, like, at school or at home, it just sounds like, just sounds like kids were just a pain. You know, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I see kids yeah. around and they can be a pain. But it's, I feel it's different, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. And I think, I think he really gets that across, but it's one of those things where I'm like, oh my God, I'm glad I wasn't a kid back then. But then you also look at the trouble that Gordy's parents went through in order to have him because it says she had Dennis and then she had multiple miscarriages um, trying to get pregnant with another child. And then when she was 42, she got pregnant with Gordo. I mean, he, Gordy, his parents are much older. His dad is in his 60s. Yeah, because basically, I, I I think when you, obviously when you have kids in the 50s, it would have been unheard of to have them in their 40s. My grandmother was yeah. 42 when my dad was born. Yeah, but it, it wasn't as common like as it is no. now. Because I, I remember when I was a teenager, I was f- uh, 15 and I was friends with this girl and her parents because my parents were like, they had us like in their teens, basically. And I remember her parents were like in their fifties or something. And she was the same age as me. And I just couldn't, honestly, my little teenage brain just couldn't get my head around the fact that her parents were the same age as my grandparents. I'm exactly the same because my, I went to school with a girl whose mother has sadly passed away on Friday and her mother was 82. Yeah. And she's a year old. My friend is a year older than me. And her mum's 82 and my mum's only just 68. There's 14 yeah. years between them. I mean, the the thing is, I think there is a similar age gap between Gordy and his older brother. Yeah. As there is between my dad and his older brother. My dad was born when his older brother was 16. Oh. 
So that's a big, oh, that's a big difference. There is a big difference. But then I've also got a cousin who became a, an older sister at 16. Yeah. She was 16. Her sister was 14. And I was 11 when my cousin Daniel was born. Yeah, because there's one bit in it which I think was slightly different in the film. It, well, that's the way it came across to me anyway. So he talks about his brother and there being the age difference and how kind of they didn't, he didn't really know him loads like, yeah but in the film I felt like they had a closer relationship than what was in the book yeah in the book that's the that's thing the way it skim- came across to me anyway yeah, they skim over a lot of the relationship because he says a lot of people would have resented or hated their older brother but yeah. I admired mine I have fond memories he used to take me places yeah and I liked it So the relationship, I think the difference Mm. between the book and the film is something we will be talking about in something we are going to be announcing at a later date. But with the book, Mm. you have that moment of clarity with, oh, well, they were actually quite close, but it is a moment. It is literally a paragraph. Yeah. His talk about his brother is very, very limited and it is more referring to the fact that he feels like a ghost. Whereas I think on screen, you can get things done far easier with flashbacks and fond memories than you can on, on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, when you see it, it looks because like there's one, but I think they're sat on a bed or something and he rubs his, he puts a hat on him or a baseball cap or something, yeah. doesn't he? And um, yeah, they just they just looked more. I kind of don't didn't didn't feel like in the book that came across what I saw in the film but then again like you said you're actually witnessing it so and I think in the book we are we are talking far more about the individual character's growth and this is obviously Gordo in though they do have that flashback element in the film and you do have a narrator that is older Gordy in the book it is far more oh I'm writing about my childhood and you have that sense of him typing the words and that's how it feels. It feels as though he's actually talking about this as he's yeah. typing it. And he's reminiscing fondly about friends he no longer has. So with regards to the ending and you do spoiler free, I now, because the whole way through, like I said, I was like, well, it's not really a spoiler kind of episode because you can't really spoil it. And then the ending is a little bit different, little, little Tina Turner, bit different. Um, but I take it I'm not allowed to mention that. No. I think the, the one of the main reasons I try and stay spoiler free, even, I mean, I, I did a, um, a whodunit last week and there were, mm. I think, six characters were dead by the end of the book. And it was a cosy oh, right, mystery. Okay. And six people were clobbered to oh. death with hammers. Um, and it was a cozy mystery murder mystery but I didn't reveal who done it and there were several who done it throughout yeah and that's for me that's a massive spoiler but I want people I want to encourage people to read it so with this one though it's not a traditional spoiler and I really don't think it is a traditional spoiler it's still a spoiler mm. because no I agree because it's be kind honest, of that shock at the end me. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm not, obviously I'm not going to say it, but I, cause it, it's not that different, but it was different enough for me to kind of go, Oh, 
Like, do you know, because it was something yeah. new because I'd seen the film, you know, I've seen the film loads of times and I knew how it ended. And then to get that kind of like little bit of a different ending that wasn't that different, but just enough to kind of give me something new. So, yeah, yeah. I think if you if you haven't, um, you know, read the book or Googled the book or listened, you know, did an audible book, then I would recommend to do it because that little bit at the end, it, if anything, though, it makes it even just sadder. Just yeah, like, it oh. does. It really does. <laughs> I think yeah. this entire book is one that is, it's a, um, it's a journey of self discovery, mm-hmm. but it's also a coming of age book, and it's really at the end of it you get that punch to the gut. I think is the best way of putting it. Yeah, I I really did. Like, I was really surprised because I I knew what was coming. Well, I thought I knew what was coming. (laughs) And some of, you know, some of it did arrive. But when the next couple of bits did, I was like, oh, God, like, you know, the whole way through, I'm like, God, these poor kids. And then you get the end and you're like, well, not just bloody great. (laughs) And I I think that was the the way that he made it so profound. That's the thing that I think yeah. Stephen Stephen King is always oh he's the king of horror, but he is severe. I think his abilities when it comes to coming of age and the fact that so many, especially in the seventies and eighties, so many of his books were about teenagers and young adults mm. finding discovering oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah. I mean, you've got Carrie, you've got Firestarter, you've got Cujo, Silver Bullet. It- Christine it and then you've got different Mm. seasons with the body and you've got short stories like apt pupil and though apt pupil could probably that was quite young pet cemetery yeah pet cemetery I think was a bit different and then of of course you've got the shining which again is a bit different because they were very young children and that was more Mm. traumatizing (laughs) but he had this yeah reputation in the 70s and 80s not so much of the horror but the the teenage horror and then you get to the late 80s 90s and you've got misery and you've got um 20 um oh god what well, I can't even remember it's the book with um 11 22 63 or something and you've got all those other books Rose Madder and so on and they are far more building on the more adult or the more grown-up characters Whereas these yeah. ones were far more focused on, I mean, especially the body and carry with the teenage bullies. And it's almost yeah. like it was, he was yeah. using it as catharsis. So Stephen, Stephen King, if yeah, this was your life, I'm really sorry. Sit- <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that. It'd be interesting to actually sit down and have a really open conversation with him about, I mean, maybe he has done interviews, but like a real truthful conversation about what his yeah. childhood was like because yeah parts of his childhood are, are like books like this and Carrie and all that kind of stuff then yeah you kind of you know did he get bullied a lot and all that kind of stuff but, well yeah. that's the thing as I as I we were talking about earlier this he did an interview and he was asked the question about the body and he said apart from the search for the body this was semi-autobiographical same. so were yeah. these his friends? Were these the people he remembers? Was his family this traumatized? I'm I'm going to need to do more digging personally. Yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting uh, 
interesting to kind of look into him and um because I do watch a lot of his film and this actually listening to this it makes me want to kind of listen to more of his stuff you, you did know, say this before with, me- with misery didn't you yeah yeah so um yeah I, I think he's a he keeps you engaged I will say that about him like apart from the little bit where uh, like the Chico bit I I was fully engaged in this so yeah it definitely would make me go for for another one but you know not when I'm feeling down <laughs> <laughs> so in other words Stephen King not for when you're depressed not for when you're especially this one Jesus yeah but I did enjoy it I was I was glad that um that we chose this one we've been talking about I, doing this one for ages to be fair we have been yeah and uh I, the ending not knowing what I now know it was a nice little it was something new for something that's you know uh, old this book's what, what when did he write this book did you say 82 I think it was I've the books over the other side of the room oh yeah Sorry, we had a little bit of a trouble with the recording. Yeah, there were, so there were a few technical difficulties. So if you notice a few repeated sentences, that is purely because my studio doesn't seem to like the the internet. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, to say it's that long, yeah, it was nice to have that little, um, that little bit at the end. Gave me something yeah. new. That's Because you know, I saw Stand By Me back in the 80s, so... You know, that's like nearly 40 years ago, 86 was the film. So you've said you'd read other books by King or listen to other books. What was, yeah, because you did listen to it on Audible, what was it like? What was the actual recording like? Um, he, I liked the guy who did, I think his name was Frank Muller. He, he did a really good job of it, actually. Um, I really enjoy the audio, audio. <laughs> audio books um because like I do a lot of walking and you know I'm always up and about they're they're really good for that so I do I'd highly recommend them like if you're not a big reader like me I like I mean I do sit and read true crime and stuff like that but if you're not a I, I wish I could sit down and do it but I just haven't got the patience or I fall asleep really quickly so like you said when you said I started the book at nine o'clock and then we started recording this at like eleven thirty. And I'm like, I would have been, I would have been asleep by ten past nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. I I find it really difficult to listen to audiobooks. Really yeah. difficult because it's I'm. Good that they. I'm the reverse of you. If I listen to audio, I'm more likely yeah. to fall asleep than if I fall read asleep, the yeah. book. But it's good that they do that because I know, like, some people, not you. But I've, you know, seen some readers that can be quite snobby if you say you don't read a book, you know, you listen to it and they like you get this idiotic any way, response. Any way you're exactly. absorbing a book, I know. it I doesn't matter. Like that. It's like, yeah, yawn. Um, it's been a massive discussion yeah, I, on book forums for years. Is audio, is having an audio book classed as reading? And it's like, well, yes, because you are still absorbing the word. I think that's yeah, the way you can just, term it. You know, can't sit down and, you know, they don't have, like, especially nowadays, you know, with commutes or like people working from home, especially and stuff like this. Whereas it's nice to have it on when you're doing things. And I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get your, you know, get the information as long as exactly. you're 
getting it like you know I mean think about it this or... way if it weren't for the popularity of audiobooks podcasts probably hmm. wouldn't stand a chance no exactly because so you're I think, absorbing you know... information via spoken word but let's face it, people need something to to argue about, don't they? So, you oh, know. I think that that is, <laughs> I, I find it such a frustrating thing to argue about. I mean, personally, I cannot absorb the written word via audio. I find it really difficult and I will fall asleep if I oh. listen to an audio book. I've only, I've actually got yeah. an Audible subscription, no promo here, but I download radio plays because I listen to them as oh, okay. noise when I'm asleep. Yeah. And I'll wake yeah. up probably I've, I've listened to good omens. I've, I mean, I've read the book several times anyway, and I have spoken about it yeah. with chance on this show, but I've yeah. probably listened to the beginning and the end of it about 50 times, <laughs> never the middle. Yeah. Because I fall asleep. Yeah. Whereas if somebody says to me, here's the book, it's like, oh, great. There's an afternoon. Yeah, no, I can't do that. I can't sit down. And I think if people get, you know, say something to me about it, and I'm like, you're being rude. You're making fun of me because I don't have the ability to sit still. I have ants in my pants. <laughs> exactly. I, and the thing is, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Because right. if you're listening to a book while you are watching, while you're um on a walk or you're yeah. at, at a gym recital or well not gym recital yeah. a gym rehearsal with your kids yeah. or you are in the park and you've you're doing whatever or you're sitting in your office and it's really really quiet it doesn't matter if you've got something accompanying it and think of the jobs there's people yeah. out there that get paid to read oh yeah plenty of people yeah. that get paid to read yeah and I yeah. don't begrudge them that at all. I'm jealous that they can actually do that. And also, I'm I am kind of envious of those people that can listen to an audio book and still remember it yeah. because I can't do it. I need the word in front. Yeah, of Yeah, I can with some, but I am very good at like taking stuff in, like for an episode, and then being like, "You can get rid of that now. Make room for some more information." <laughs> So overall, this book is one that you would recommend? I'd highly recommend it. I'd highly I think it's just a really great story. And you don't have to have seen the film, but I would recommend seeing the film as well because it's a great film. So, yeah. Would you overall. recommend seeing the film after reading the book? I mean, I have to be honest, I did see the film after reading the book, but then I've been a bookworm since the year dot. So I personally would have prefer to have listened to this first than had seen the film for this particular one so I would because I think the problem for me was I was the whole way through I was you know seeing River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Keeper Sutherland you know Corey Feldman I, I, I it was all them so I didn't get to usually I am like that I, I want to know what it's all about I'm terrible for that because I've got no patience and I want to know what it's all about and then I want to see the film and then I'll go listen to it. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. But with this, I kind of wish that I had got to, like, use my imagination a bit. And what did they look like and how did they sound? Whereas even though it was the voice of Frank Muller, when he was doing the bits of Chris and of Gordy and stuff, I was hearing Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. You know that? So yeah, I didn't get the chance to kind of, you know, create make up them my in your own head. mind. Yeah. 
Um, so for this book, I personally wish I had uh, heard it before I saw it. <laughs> and that's so. not necessarily a bad thing, to be fair. No, no. Well, because we are not revealing spoilers, mm-hmm. it sounds really bad. This is cutting. <laughs> we aren't going to reveal the end. We know we've already no. said they find the body, but to be honest, that is not the end of the book. And though the book no. is titled The Body, that's not really the purpose of the book either. Very small part. Yeah. It is an incredibly small no. part. It's more no. the journey to self-discovery and developing their friendships yeah. more than anything. So I'd yeah. give this book two thumbs up personally. I mean, this is probably the sixth time I've read it. Yeah. And you can buy it as yeah. an independent book on its own, as you can all of the short stories by Stephen King. I'd recommend, to be honest, yeah. buying the whole book, different seasons, because it has some fantastic other stories mm-hmm. in there, including the Shawshank Redemption. I think actually I'm going to do the Shawshank as well. I'm I never, do you know, I've never seen to. the film. Oh, I've never seen the Sorry. film, but I've read the book multiple times. The film is exceptional it is a absolute one of the most amazing films i've ever seen it's it's brilliant it's so but that's good the thing. i mean i'm not though i like film i'm not a film girl i think I am you'd enjoy fun. it but it's yeah. one that that you sit down and watch not not while you're reading not while you do i'd sit and watch it because it deserves that it deserves your attention it's so good like, it's so good. It's such a good film. And the acting is exceptional. The acting is exceptional. The whole thing is just amazing. I've met one I of highly the cast. Recommend it. Sorry? I've met one of the cast of The Shawshank Redemption. Which one? Bill Sadler. Oh, did you? Yes. I've got oh. photos of me looking like an absolute gormless idiot meeting him. No, if, if you, I would. If you wanted, like, a film just one Sunday afternoon or something, sit down and watch. What, but watch it. Don't watch it while you're reading and that kind of stuff. Just watch it because it deserves the attention. Such a good film. I think Such I shocked you film. when I said that. <laughs> well, I, I'd like you to watch it just because I'd be curious to see what you thought of it. Because this one thing, I've never heard one person say a negative thing about it. Not once. So I haven't. The Shawshank Redemption is yeah. another yeah. short yeah, book. And it's not even called that. But it is a good yeah. book. Yeah. So now that you are currently on a break from podcasting, I know that people can still find you on social because you're Mm -hmm. doing some really interesting stuff at the moment. So tell us where they can find you. Yeah, I'm not really doing much at the moment. So uh, yeah, I'm not really. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter as I think I'm just Lorraine Purden. Am I? I don't know. I can't (laughs) remember. I know I follow you, but... I don't, it sounds awful. I don't look at the names. Yeah. I, just, I just look at the pictures and the posts that are yeah. coming up. But <laughs> thank you ever so much for coming on and talking about this. I'm really pleased. I found, we found another book by Stephen King that you enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But he does write some. Yeah, does, yeah. No, I, I, I do want to read Fairy yeah, Tale though. Oh, yeah. That, isn't that quite a new one? That's his new one that came out a few months ago. Yeah. It's had mixed reception. Yeah. Some people say fantastic beginning. The middle is really slow and then the ending is incredible. And then other people are like, oh, this isn't a oh, Stephen okay. I'm familiar with. But at the same time, neither was the body. Oh. Yeah. So if you've read yeah. his newer stuff, 
maybe he's reverting back to the older stuff and the older style. Yeah. Which would be quite interesting to maybe. see a return to because that's my favorite era of his writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the bigger oh. book. It's, a, it's quite a big book, but hey. And depending on who reads the audio, you might read really a day to read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it'd probably take me a bit longer than that. But it is one of it's yeah. a hefty tome, though not as big as it, which is over a thousand pages. Yeah. Yeah, that one's massive. That is a massive book. But again, thank you ever so much mm -hmm. for coming on and talking with me about this, because I think it's one of those books that you need to talk with someone about rather than two people. Yeah. About. It's yeah. yeah. Certain films and books are like that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, I could talk. There are certain books I could talk about till the cows come home on my own. But this one is one of those, I think, that has mm. elements about it that you need to hear another perspective on. Yeah. Cool. So that that is that is it. This was us talking the body. Definitely go out and pick out pick up a copy. It's in different seasons, the anthology, or you can buy it as a single version on its own. I would personally pick up different seasons, but I couldn't find a copy online at the time. So that's why I got a single <laughs> version. It really I did look and they were out of stock everywhere. Really annoying. All right. Okay. <laughs> and thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening and joining us. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod. Or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Wow, say that enough times and it's going to start tripping off the tongue much easier. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a new book is calling me. I've got more being delivered today, but don't tell anyone. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>